0: Acts 17, verses 1 through 9. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ." And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people." But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. That's the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for this truth that shows to us that, Lord, it does not matter what age we live in, what country we live in, what people we live among. Lord, when the gospel is preached in truth, accurately, according to the scripture, Lord, men will be upset because it will literally turn their worlds upside down. Father, that we would be a church, Christ Fellowship, and your church in this nation and in this world would once again be those who have brought the gospel to our cities and to our places, that we would be those people who have turned the world upside down, proclaiming Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords, not fearful of what men would say, not fearful of what governments might do, but fearing God and proclaiming the truth, the only truth that is able to set men free. Father, give us ears to hear this truth. Give us hearts and minds open to receive it, that we would be a people set free by the truth of your gospel, giving witness to your glory, to your glorious name in all the earth, in Jesus' name, amen. Paul and the other disciples left Philippi, and they make their way to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Remember, in Philippi, there wasn't a synagogue. They went to the place of prayer, which was down by the river. Well, now they've left Philippi, and they've traveled through those two cities, Am- Amphipolis and Annapolis, or of Apollonia, and they come to Thessalonica, where the scripture tells us there is a synagogue. And it was Paul's custom to go into the synagogue of the Jews and reason with them from the scripture. Why did he go to the synagogue? Because this is where the worshipers of God assembled, not just Jews, but Greeks who had become Jews or Greeks, Jews who lived in the Greek world, who lived more as Greeks, who were more Greek-like in their culture, they might have been ethnic Jews, but they lived in the Greek world, they spoke Greek, they lived according to the Greek culture, not that they disobeyed the law, but they were much more identified with the Greek culture than they were with the Hebrew culture. Some of those were ethnic Jews that had lived for generations in the Greek-speaking world outside of Judea and Jerusalem. And some of these were actually Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. And the scripture here says that there was a great many, a great many of the devout Greeks who joined, a multitude of them, who joined the disciples. And this is why Paul went to the synagogues, because this is where the worshipers of the true and living God gathered together to worship. And so this was the most logical place to go first, because they were already there worshiping God, and he would reason with them from the scriptures. And what did he do? He explained to them that the Christ had to suffer and die and rise again, and that Jesus, this Jesus whom I preach, is the Christ. Because there was a great controversy in Israel amongst the Jews. Is Jesus the Messiah or not? And the, the conventional wisdom was he can't be the Messiah because he was crucified. He died and the Messiah would never be allowed to die. He's going to come and conquer all of our enemies. So Jesus can't be the Messiah. And what would Paul do as his custom was? He went into the synagogues. And he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And he did this, Luke writes, for three Sabbaths. He goes into the synagogue and reasons with them from the scriptures. So Paul, being a Jew, made it his custom to go into the synagogue of the Jews to reason with them from the scriptures because this is who Paul was. He was a lawyer. He was an expert in the scriptures. And so Paul and the disciples, they go to the synagogue week after week, reasoning with the Jews, reasoning with the devout Greeks. So for more than three weeks, Paul is preaching the gospel and giving witness to Christ in Thessalonica. Not just in the synagogues, but they went everywhere. They would go to the marketplace. They would go wherever they could get an audience and proclaim the gospel to Jew and to Gentile. And what were they doing? They were explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. This is important. Because when we read the the Scripture, especially when we read the epistles, and in particular, Paul warns the churches that if anyone comes to you, If I come to you, if any other apostle, any other disciple, if an angel even were to come to you proclaiming another gospel, another Christ, don't listen to them. Paul was explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Remember that many of the Jews were on board with Jesus until what? Until he was crucified as he's marching into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, they're throwing down their cloaks and their tunics, and they're putting down palm branches, and they're proclaiming him the king, and he's riding in on a donkey, and they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Save us, Lord. Save us in the highest. You are the king. You are the Messiah. But then all of a sudden, when the Messiah, the king that they had just proclaimed days before, is now standing before Pilate on trial to be crucified. And the Gentile Roman leader is trying to talk the Jews into not crucifying him. And the Jews are persisting, no, crucify him. The people made a decision, many of them did. Many who had followed him made a decision, this cannot be the Messiah. Because the Messiah would not be on trial by the Romans, The Messiah would be overthrowing the Romans. To them it was upside down to think their Messiah could be crucified. The Messiah was to come and conquer, not be conquered. Jesus did conquer. He just did not conquer in the way they determined that he must when he came. It's why the Messiah was carried into the temple and it was an old man and an old woman, both who had committed their lives to prayer and fasting, both who had received by faith a promise to see the Messiah and they alone had eyes to see the baby being carried through the temple to be dedicated to God. They alone had eyes to see the Messiah being carried into the temple. Because everybody else was looking for a Messiah that was not a baby. Yeah, they were looking for a king, but not being carried by its mother. They were looking for a king who would ride in and overthrow all the armies of the world and set up the kingdom of Israel. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Just not in the way that they had determined in their own hearts and minds that it should be done. And that should be a warning to us today. That God will not always work according to the way that we desire and the way that we have determined He should work or that we want Him to work or that we think would be the best way for Him to work. That is exactly what Israel did. And they missed their Messiah because they could not see beyond their own desires and their own imaginations. And we are called to be a people that don't look to our own desires and our own imaginations. We are called to be a people that look to God and trust God in whatever He has planned and whatever He has purposed, even when it doesn't look the way we think it should look. You see, their whole concept of the Messiah was not from the Scripture, but from their own desire, their own vain imaginations. And much like the world's concept of Jesus today, that is not from the scripture, but is a Jesus that's created from man's own lust and desire, his own imagination of what and who Jesus should be. Since the fall of man in the garden, humans have taken the upside-down approach of creating a God in their own image When in reality, the right side of this is that we humans are the ones created in God's image. In this upside down world, men worship the creature instead of the creator. Paul's words in Romans are worth reading. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Men who do what? Listen. Men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God. They did not glorify him as God. Nor were they thankful. But became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise. They became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God. Into an image made like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, who worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, this idea... And you hear this quite often. Well, what about the poor people who never hear about Jesus? What's God going to do with them? He's going to judge them righteously is what he's going to do with them. Because they and we all are without excuse. Whether some white missionary with a Bible goes to some remote part of the jungle or some remote part of the world to tell them about Jesus is irrelevant. God's witness has been sent to the ends of the earth. And the Bible says that they are without excuse because his invisible attributes are clearly seen. And the problem with man is that he doesn't know. The problem with man is that he does know and he rebels against what he knows. He suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. They are all without excuse. And you see the suppression of truth and unrighteousness all around us. I mean, it's in everything you can imagine. Men continue to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We see this in issues dealing with our earthly leaders, to man's worship of the gods. Men lie to suit their own lusts and desires, all while rejecting the truth and the true and the living God. Christ is not our Creation. We are His creation. We cannot continue to profess faith in Christ all the while creating a God in our own image who we call Lord. This is what Jesus writes in Matthew chapter 7. I mean, Matthew writes of the words of Jesus recorded for us in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. When Jesus says in that day, in the last day, they'll come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these great things in your name? And he says, I will depart, I will say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I do not know you. There are a lot of people who profess to do lots of things in the name of the Lord because they have created a Lord, a Jesus, a Christ in their own vain imaginations. Who is the God they have chosen to worship because they are unwilling to worship the God of the Bible because the scripture is truth and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness but to make themselves feel better they create a God they can worship in their own image out of their own desire out of their own imagination and they call him Lord. But if he is not the Lord of the Bible, if he is not the Lord of the Scripture, if he is not the Lord revealed in the holy inspired word of God, then he is not Lord. He is an imposter. He is another Christ and it is another gospel. We, the the believers, the church, must give witness to the truth that Jesus is the Christ. This was Paul's message, and it is the message of all the church throughout all the ages till Jesus come again. This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ, and the implications of that true statement is gigantic, bigger than we can imagine. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Lord, capital L, of Lord's little L. He is the King, capital K, of kings, little K. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Jesus is the sovereign Lord and King over presidents, over parliaments, over congresses, over assemblies. He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, Over all rule and all authority in heaven and on earth. This is the message of the church. Jesus is the Christ and he is Lord. That has got to be our message. No matter what the crowds think about it. No matter what the ruling authorities think about it. This is our message. This is the salvation and the hope of the world. Now, just as then, some are persuaded and some are not. Luke records for us the result of Paul's preaching. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace. Imagine that. Imagine recruiting evil men to do evil things to suppress the truth and righteousness. Took some of the evil men and gathered a mob and set all the city in an uproar and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, this was the accusation against them. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too." But that's not, what they, that's not where they stop. Listen to what they said. Have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Not only have they turned the world upside down as we know it. But they are acting contrary to the government. Saying that there is another king. There is another lord. Other than Caesar. Other than the ruling authorities. This One, they called Jesus. That was their crime. That was the accusation. And you know what? It was an accurate accusation that they made against these believers. Think about that statement. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Certainly not meant to be a compliment But can there be any greater? Is that not what the gospel of the kingdom is supposed to do? Turn the world upside down? Or rather, as we talked with the children, right side up? When the church begins to truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, and they understand what that actually means in a biblical sense, according to the truth, and not according to the vain imaginations of men... And the church preaches that truth without shame, without reservation. Can you imagine what's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to see things begin to be set right. But remember, as we set our world right, we're setting someone else's world upside down. And they may not be persuaded to believe that that is the best thing. We may find ourselves facing the opposition of the world And when that happens, we must be of good cheer because Jesus promised that he has overcome the world. And if Jesus has overcome the world and we are in Jesus, that means we too have overcome the world. And it doesn't matter what they do with us. Drag us outside the city gates, stone us, run us out of town, call us names. The church preaching Jesus is the Christ was reputed to have turned the world upside down It is sin that has, in fact, turned the world upside down, not the gospel. The gospel is reversing the effects of sin. The gospel of the kingdom sets it right side up. One way or another, the gospel of the kingdom will always disrupt the world. The mandate of the church is to preach the gospel and disciple the nations... The command is to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the mandate to turn our world right side up. For those of the world who are conformed to the world, it would seem as though the world is being turned upside down. This is what the gospel should do to sinners. Set them and this world in right relation to God, even if it makes them seem like. They're upside down. This is not their world. This world belongs to its creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not their world to keep it turned upside down. It is the world that belongs to the Christ who redeemed to save it. And it has been given to us the authority and the power to set it right side up. The scripture in Romans 12:2 commands us to no longer be conformed to the world but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind is the process of being conformed to the new reality in Christ that we are set right-side up in an upside-down world. We are have been set. We have been set in right relation to God. The renewing of our mind is that process That helps us understand this reality that we have come into. Those under the weight of the curse of sin and death have come to accept. And come to expect all things to operate according to the sinful course of this world. They're completely at home in this upside down world. This is normal for the unbeliever. But as believers, we are to no longer be conformed to the course of this world. Listen to Paul's words in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We are no longer sons of disobedience. If you are in Christ, you have been delivered from that nature. You are a child of God, not a son, not a daughter of disobedience. We are to walk in obedience to the ways of Christ. We are to proclaim the truth, make the truth known, not suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We were once by nature children of wrath, just as the others, but now in Christ we have been changed. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Grace means you didn't earn it. Grace means you didn't deserve it. Grace means God gave it to you because he chose to love you. In Christ we are no longer what we once were. In Christ our World has been set right side up and we are in right standing with God. In Christ, the world does not understand who we are. The world doesn't understand what we do. The world doesn't understand why we do what we do. It's upside down to them. To those still conform to the world, the kingdom is upside down. To those who are in the kingdom, it is the world that is upside down. It is the world that is contrary to the creator. That is because the course of the kingdom is opposed to the course of this world. The course of light is opposed to the course of darkness. This is evident in the struggles that we have within ourselves in our very own lives. Romans 8, 5 through 7 For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, it's opposed to God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be carnal mind, the mindset of this world, is opposed to the mind of the Spirit and the mindset of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom is upside down to this world. But in reality, it is the world that is upside down in relation to God and His kingdom. That means that the church is not a neutral entity in this world. You do understand this, don't you? It's very important that you understand this. We're coming into a time where it's going to become painfully obvious that the church cannot be neutral, is not neutral, was not put here to be neutral. We're not mediators between Republicans and Democrats. We're not mediators between red and blue. We're not mediators between... People opposed to one another. We're not here to mediate. Christ is the mediator. The only mediator we need is the mediation of a sinful world and a holy God. And Christ is the mediator. He is the one that has brought us into reconciliation. He is the one that has made peace between God and a world full of His enemies. We are no longer the enemies of God. We are His children. We have come to peace with Him because of the mediating work of Jesus Christ. The church is not a neutral entity. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 12, 30. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. There's no gray area here. If you're not with me, you're against me. No way, Jesus... Now, wait a minute. I'm not saying I'm, I'm for you. I'm not saying I believe in you, but I'm certainly not against you. I'm just neutral. Nope, doesn't, that doesn't work. You can believe that to your demise all day long. The world can tell you that. Unbelievers can tell you that. Agnostics can tell you that. Well-meaning people who are just trying to help everyone get along together can tell you that all day long. But you're either going to believe what Jesus said Or you're going to believe the lie of the enemy and the lie of the world that's living upside down and contrary to God God and his kingdom. And Jesus said, there are no gray areas. There is no neutrality. You're either for me or you're against me. And if you're not for me, then you are against me. If you're not gathering with me, then you're scattering abroad. You do know the world does not like that truth. The world doesn't want to hear that. There are many people in the church who... Would then try to explain to you what Jesus really meant. That I know it sounds like he's saying there's there's no there's no gray area, but let me explain to you what it really means. No. Just believe Jesus, just take Jesus at his word. If we are more concerned about what we will lose in this world than what we than what can be gained for the kingdom, then it will never be said of us. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. If we're more worried about what the authorities and what Caesar is going to think of us, then what God thinks of us, they're never going to say this of us. And if they're not saying this of us in some form or fashion, then we are probably not preaching an accurate gospel. Too much of the church has bought the lie of political correctness for the sake of popularity with the world. We do not have to seek confrontation. That's not what I'm saying. We're not to go out and seek confrontation. In fact, what we're commanded to do is seek God. Opposition will come by the very nature of who we are and who we are in this world. If we're seeking God, you don't have to worry about it. You're going to run up against opposition in this world. If we are afraid of upsetting the world, we cannot accurately and effectively preach the gospel. Jesus is the Christ and the Lord of all. And our declaration of that truth will be disruptive to the world. For the world does not want to acknowledge Christ for who he is. Otherwise, they would have to willingly submit to his lordship. They would have to cease Suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, and they would have to celebrate and acknowledge the truth. And I think you and I know the world is not about to do that. But we are not of this world, we're in this world. But the Bible is very clear we're not of this world, and we're not to be conformed to this world. Jesus is Lord. He's not Republican. He's not Democrat. It's not Trump or Biden. It's Jesus is Lord. But that statement right there is the most political declaration we could ever make. It was so in the kingdom. It was so in the empire of Rome. Caesar is curious. Kaiser as Curios. Kaiser is is the the Greek word that's translated Caesar. Curios is the Greek word that means lord. Not not just like a lord over some lands and a servant, but Curios is the word that means the lord, the God almighty. And those of the empire were to declare, Caesar is God Almighty. And when they came to the Christians and they said, Christian, declare your allegiance to the emperor. Declare Caesar is Lord. The response of the Christians were, Jesus is Lord. A very political statement. So political that they executed Christians wholesale. Because of their refusal to confess Caesar as Lord. When you had Caesar sitting on the throne. Who were so insecure that they could not have subjects in their kingdom. Proclaiming anyone or anything else Lord. The church must be willing to speak the truth in love. For there is no love in a lie. With no worry of the consequences the truth may bring. There is no love in a lie. And we have to be willing to speak the truth in love. Not worried about the consequences the truth may bring. Those early believers did not love their lives unto death. We often think mistakenly that they just were doormats. That, that the world ran over them. No what we have today is or doormat Christians who are unwilling to take a stand, who will rather compromise and try to explain away the words of Jesus and tell people, well, that's what it sounds like Jesus meant, but that's not really what he meant. They went to their deaths, not as doormats, but as witnesses, as martyrs. The word martyr means witness. It doesn't matter whether you're living or dead. You are to be a witness to Christ. Your life, here and now, or snuffed out by the emperor, is to be a witness to Christ. And your life speaks, your life matters. Your witness speaks, and your witness matters. But your compromise doesn't accomplish anything. The compromise of the church doesn't accomplish anything for Jesus. It opposes him, and it scatters abroad. But when we stand for the truth, even when it hurts, what do we tell our kids? Kids, why? Even when it hurts. Be a truth teller, even when it hurts. We teach our kids at Koinonia, they say that every morning. Be a truth teller, even when it hurts. But where is the church standing for that. We teach our little kids to tell the truth, but yet we've got adults compromising the truth because we're more worried about what the world's going to think about us. We're more worried about getting that tithe and offering in and filling up all these seats and paying for all of our buildings and all of our programs instead of standing in the truth believing that the truth and the truth alone can set men free. Programs never set men free. Buildings never set men free. I love the fact that we got buildings. I love the fact that we got a new building that we're fixing to use very soon. I love that. But I'm telling you what, no building has ever set a person free. We have programs, but no program ever set a person free. Only Jesus, only the truth. Those early believers did not love their lives unto death. They were willing to suffer loss for the sake of the gospel, even the loss of their very own life. In America, we find it hard to have our popularity or our reputation suffer for the gospel, much less our life. We can never effectively preach a gospel that sets the captive free if we are still held captive by what the world may think of us. Now is the time for the church to step up and boldly proclaim that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the Lord over all. Now is the time to set things right, even if that means the world being turned upside down and their wrath being exercised against us. If such displeasure results in the power of God to salvation, we can be assured that the cost of proclaiming the truth is far less than the benefit of it. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts to come to the table of the Lord. This Jesus, we proclaim, he is the Christ, which means he is the Lord. And he alone can set this world right. And so to him alone must we look, in him alone must we trust. not quietly though, faithfully, which will necessitate our proclamation of the truth even to the upset of those around us. Not because we want to upset people, but because we want to see truth prevail and men be set free from the sin and the death that holds them captive. So that they, too, can live in a world set right, made right, eternally right. By our God and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Christian, as you trust Jesus, come to this table. Welcome to Jesus. Remember, it's our job to proclaim the truth. Not talk people into believing. Because you cannot talk someone into trusting Jesus. It has to come from their heart. And you can't change a person's heart. Only God can. But we have to be very purposeful in making sure that we proclaim truth. That we talk in terms of truth that we don't lead people astray because we're afraid of hurting people's feelings. Think of all that Jesus suffered, not just physically. Think about who Jesus is, the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator, the glorious son of God who put on human flesh, who humbled himself, not only put on human flesh, but to die. Not just die, but die a death on the cross, hung on a tree and made a curse for us. If there was ever anyone who did not deserve any of that, especially to be made a curse, it's Jesus. Yet he went and did not open his mouth, did not defend himself, against the false accusations made by men suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. He is our example of a life without compromise, committed, dedicated to truth, not our own reputations, not our own comfort and well-being. Father, we thank you for Jesus We thank you for this table, this table of thanksgiving that we are invited to every week, that you set for us every week by eternally supplying for us the body and the blood of Jesus to eternally save us and redeem us and make us your very own. Father, we thank you for this bread. We proclaim through this bread the body of Christ. Not just the body hung on a tree for our redemption, but the body present in this room who are your children, who are your people, who are your body in this earth. We remember the body of Christ hung for us, died for us, We also remember the body of Christ living, not just living for us, but the life of Christ living in us and through us. Thank you for this bread. We thank you and we proclaim today the body of Christ. Father, we are all guilty of the sin of suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. It's not a sin that we have committed once or twice. It's a sin that we are continuously tempted with and we are continuously failing. Lord, in so many ways, Lord, perhaps not in great ways, but in small ways, we become guilty of suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Father, help us to be a people, a people of the truth, a people who love truth, who embrace truth, even when the truth hurts. Help us to be a people who value truth and understand that only the truth can set men free. Lord Jesus, you set us free with your body on the cross, and you cleansed us and purified us and made us holy by pouring out your blood and washing away our sin through the blood of Jesus. We thank you for this cup. We proclaim through this cup the blood of Jesus. Let's all stand. Our charge is to live in such a way that we would, or that the world would say of us, as they did of Paul and the disciples, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. We are not charged to be seekers of controversy, but seekers of God. And We can be sure if we are truly seeking God controversy may not be far away the world continues to suppress the truth and unrighteousness we are to speak the truth in love that simple act may turn the world of many upside down they may be persuaded they may not be persuaded it does not matter we are charged to speak the truth in love very simply And if our words of truth, the words of the gospel, turn someone's world upside down, may we be so honored and may God be so glorified. Amen.